Hi, everybody. Before today's podcast episode, if you are a teacher, if you are a part of a school, I'm sure you are using earbuds or headphones. Please consider TFD Supplies for your earbuds. They are 55 cents each. I say again, 55 cents each for earbuds. You're not going to find a better price and you are not going to find a better customer experience. Visit tfdsupplies.com. Hello and welcome to the Educator Escape Podcast. My name is Seth Tripp and today is Friday, August 31st, 2018. Welcome to the end of the week and the start of the first official three-day weekend of the school year. I hope you have some fun plans this weekend to kick back and relax and enjoy a nice pork steak or kebab or salad if you're a weirdo and you've sworn off meats but yet you have no concern for the well-being of plants. Enjoy your roughage. For me, as long as I have some watermelon... Sometime this weekend, I will be happy. Before we get too much into things to the podcast, I want to let you know of some changes that are coming to the podcast. The first is that we are changing how often the podcast is released. We are switching from three times a week to twice a week, starting next week. Now all podcasts will be released on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and blog posts will be released on Wednesdays. I decided to make this change because I felt like the twice-a-week podcast would allow more people to listen more often, giving more of a voice to the listener. So again, the release days will be on Tuesday and Thursday for the podcast and Wednesday for the blog posts starting next week. If you have enjoyed the podcast so far but have not yet subscribed, go search Educator Escape on your favorite podcast site and hit the subscribe button. As of now, we are currently on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and Spotify. If you don't have it on your favorite, let me know and I'll get it there as soon as possible. If you would like to keep track of the podcast on social media, search Educator Escape and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter. And hit the like button on Facebook. There are reminders for podcast release dates. And if I feel anything in the media is pertaining to our podcast, I will share with you there as well. This week on EducatorEscape.com, I wrote about my weekly blog post that is associated with the podcast. This week I wrote about my experience subbing at the International Welcome Center in the Rittner School District, a school designed to help non-native English speakers integrate into the traditional classroom. Go check that out if you haven't done so already. Today on the podcast, I finish up my conversation with Rena Hirsch, who shares all of the changes she has experienced from teacher to curriculum coordinator to a leader of teachers in the adult education setting. Here is part two of my conversation with Rena Hirsch. So that was just sort of, that had just always been my path. Although I will say that it was my path and still, until I started doing it and that I hated it more than I loved it every day for five full years. Um, and I've, I tried, I tried actually to quit mm-hmm. a couple of times. I tried to quit. Why? I tried to find work in another field. Earlham did not at that time have an education program of any kind. Mm-hmm. So I had a minor in education, a minor in Spanish and a major in English. And so I went to Brown university for a master's in the arts of teaching secondary English directly from Earlham. Okay. 
And that was an 11th month, 11 month program. And at the end of that program, I was like, I don't really want to do this. And I was going to make it work and not do it. I was actually working at a daycare instead and had intended to continue doing so. And then my position sort of fell through Hmm. and they didn't need me for enough hours for me to make the bills. So I was like, dang, I guess I better get a job. And I applied for some teaching jobs and got a teaching job. And then again, a few years later, I quit my job at the construction charter school in St. Louis without having another position, fooling and intending never to go back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. At the time, I owned my first home and I was trying to sell it. I was like, I'm just going to sell my house and live off of that until I can find something else. And then no one bought my house. (laughs) And no one bought my house some more. And no one bought my house a little bit after that. And then it was August, and I was like, oh, well, damn, I guess I better get a job. <laughs> so I applied for some teaching positions, and I wound up teaching eighth grade in St. Louis City at Low Middle School. And somewhere during that year, I finally kind of, like, figured out how to not take things personally and how to not necessarily have some balance but create some emotional distance from whatever was going on in my work life to where I could really enjoy what I was doing without getting dragged down by all BS and bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I wound up at Earlham, I mean at Richmond, at Rittner, and it was like, oh, it was the first school I'd taught at that had textbooks. That's why I used them. Right. I'd never worked in a school with a team of English teachers prior to that. Or a curriculum of any kind. Okay, so that's different. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and when I went to Rittner, I actually had a choice. I was offered at the same time a position in Washington, Missouri, setting up a middle school uh, remedial reading program. Hmm. Or going to Rittner and teaching sort of a very much more traditional ninth grade English in a standard sort of established high school. Mm-hmm. And when it came right down to it, I was maybe more interested in the position in Washington, but it was a 50-mile commute instead right. of a 14-mile commute. Right. And it was a flat pay increase, so approximately the same pay as what I'd been making, for a $13,000 raise. So I went to Rittner. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I stayed there for 11 years. And you eventually transitioned out of the classroom and did other people's yeah. jobs and and now you're educating adults and supporting teachers yes and on that show yeah i started when i started at rittner i was still kind of learning a lot of things mm-hmm. and about after i'd been there for about three years i started to get involved with professional development and i took i became the pd chair my sixth year there and we stayed PD co-chair for the rest of my time there. And that was at about the same time that I started my doctorate. Because I, I worked out the numbers to where I knew if I wanted to finish paying off a, all of my school loans before I retired, I needed to finish my degree by the time I was about 35. I don't know I should have been addressing you as, as doctor. 
<laughs> I don't mind either way. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think about it much. So I had, I got into that program knowing that I, I wanted to pay off my loans at the same time I might retire on the theory that that loan payment and the reduction in my income would wind up feeling like a very small difference in my actual living condition from working to retirement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So why did you just to leave the classroom and try something that's more in the, not in the, what people traditionally think of as an administrator role, like as a principal, but definitely uh-huh. not in the classroom anymore. What? Why did you decide that? It was time to make a change. There were basically there basically there were two big reasons. One, I had I felt like for a couple of years had felt real restless and had felt like I was spending more time and in some ways having more fun thinking about how to support teachers than teaching my classes. Hmm. And so in in that sense I was like if where I find like the most mental engagement is with the working with is with working with adults, then that's what I should be doing. Right. Right. And then the other reason is essentially because I was bored. (laughs) So going back, I felt like I had grown as much as I was really going to grow where I was. I hit my ceiling. But was it, it wasn't the same type of boredom that you felt when you were in Kirk's phone. No, God, no. Okay. <laughs> no, it was not that mind-numbing poison that makes you want to kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people that currently have to teach at... Uh, have to. That currently teach at Rittner or would be glad to know that there's not mind-numbing poison that is in the uh, water fountain. <laughs> no. I mean, there might be some students who feel that way, but as a teacher, I certainly didn't feel that way. Okay. I just, I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. So in that sense, it, it, maybe boredom is the wrong word. I, word. I just felt like I'd sort of hit my ceiling. And the directions that I had to go weren't things that I felt a strong connection to. So I could have, say, started teaching upperclassmen rather than freshmen. Mm-hmm. But... I didn't really, I didn't have any desire to learn to do that. You know what I mean? Okay. So I wound up, I applied for a bunch of things, mostly out of the classroom, but some classroom teaching positions too, just, you know, as interview practice and in case I came across something that I found compelling enough to go after, mm-hmm. I didn't get offered a non-classroom position. I was offered by Hazelwood School District a classroom position to help open a new eighth grade center that was uh, intended to be innovative and career oriented. And I really, I had a really strong interview there and I really enjoyed the principal and instructional coach who interviewed me. Okay. And they offered me a job that day and I asked for more time. And I, I mean, you can talk to like Leanne and some of the people I worked with at Rittner because I hemmed and hawed for a couple of weeks. And I'm mm. sure I was like miserable to still listen to about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. And eventually I just, I had this, I had that fear, a very typical fear of being unemployed. And I couldn't quite let go of the idea that I needed to have another, secured another position before I resigned. Mm-hmm. 
And I knew that June 1st was really intended to be my cutoff date. In the end, I took the position at Hazelwood because it was the best thing that had come along so far. And I resigned my position at Rittner at that time. And then like literally the next business day, I think that was a Friday, that Monday, I got like three or four invitations for interviews. (laughs) It always, always goes like that for the kind of position I wanted, but there were no guarantees. And so I turned them down. I said, I'm sorry, I've already accepted a position somewhere. Well, Hazelwood at that point then posted the position in their central office as the ELI curriculum coordinator. And uh, the director of that department had been in the ELI curriculum coordinator position and was a former Rittner alum, uh, teacher alum who I had worked with years before and really had a lot of respect for and liked. And so I applied for that position just, you know, thinking, I don't know if this is a great fit for me, but I I could probably do it. I don't know. And they called me for an interview the day after I signed my contract, maybe two days after. And I said to the secretary who called me, you know, I just signed my contract for a teaching position in your district. And she said, hang on a minute. I went away and came back and said, he says it doesn't matter. But okay. okay, I'd be happy to come in for an interview. I interviewed for that position and they hired me a month later. They called me at five o'clock to get a decision by 5.15. Oh my goodness. So that it could go to the board at 5.30. Oh, good Lord. On a Monday night so that I could start Wednesday in July. And that was not ideal. (laughs) I don't know that if I'd had more time, I would have turned it down. I don't actually think that that's the case, but it did feel very rushed. Right. And when I asked if I could have some time to think about it, she basically said, yes, but if you do that, you won't be able to start until the end of the month. And I knew from my teaching position schedule that that was the same date on which all the new teachers would start. And I did not feel like it was fair to me or to the district to wait until that point to where it's new teacher orientation before they can post the position I'm currently in. Okay. And before I start working, I start working on the same day as all the new teachers, and I'm supposed to be helping them with curriculum if they're English or elementary school Okay. teachers. Did you bring your... That just, did you, did you bring your other your teaching contract with you to the to the board meeting and put it in the shredder after they said yes? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I wasn't. I was excited about the teaching position, even though it hadn't been what I was looking for because it was definitely going to be an interesting challenge. Going back to middle school, starting a new school, dealing with the challenge of adjusting curriculum to meet some different criteria than just state standardized testing, et cetera. But I was like, this was more like what I wanted to do in the long run. And in that position, I learned a lot and I worked with some amazing people, but the breadth of the things I was responsible for was not sustainable for me. So I was part of a team of with three curriculum coaches instructional coaches who visited the buildings regularly and I was the primary responsible 
primarily responsible for K through 12 ELA, K through 12 remedial reading, K through 12 librarians, Spanish, French, German, drama, and modern media. And for those areas, I did assessment, creation, and data collection and analysis, curriculum, instructional practices, and PD, and materials. So you're essentially what happened... For 29 schools. (sighs) So so essentially what happened is that you had your... uh, I'm going to use a metaphor here. I'm going to use an English thing. So your... (laughs) <laughs> your, your your umbrella, in a in a sense, was way too heavy of an umbrella to for you to carry. Yeah. That's, Does that work? Does what, that work? I don't know. Does that work? Or the, the it's, rain? It's a little tortured, but I, I think it has potential. Well, there was the yeah. Let me let me f- yeah. flesh that. That was the rough draft. I'll I'll get another one out yeah. to you later. I you know I definitely felt like I was in a sinking ship trying to bail it out with a teacup a lot of the time. It makes me think of there's a, the comedian Jim Gaffigan asks, tells a story about that. I think it was their fourth kid. When they ask you, people ask you what it's like having a fourth kid. Like, just imagine you're drowning and then, and then somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was it, it, it just like having kids, I'm sure, though I would not know from any personal experience. There were lots of things about it that were very rewarding. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I wound up having enough opportunity to interact with and work with teachers directly. Okay. And I didn't feel like I was in a position to make any systemic changes on a time scale that I felt that I was comfortable with. And so I, you know, when it came right down to it, it just wasn't a good fit for me. I feel confident that had they had someone in that position who had more experience in that type of position at that scale, at that level, and had already developed a lot of those sort of cheaper by the dozen kind of systems, right? Mm-hmm. In and out of the bathtub in 32 seconds. Right. That it could have been, man- it would be manageable for someone like that. And I think that my successor is very likely to be someone like that because she was one of the coaches and she's kind of phenomenal, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> so I think that'll be a good fit for her. But I didn't have enough experience in on the management kind of side of things and on the curriculum writing side of that formal curriculum writing side of things to really be able to get to the level of efficiency that would have made that work. And it just wasn't, wasn't that I wasn't, I didn't want to learn to be that efficient. It didn't feel like I was going to get to that level of efficiency soon enough to make it worth it to keep trying. Okay. You know what I mean? I know. So, uh, so I wound up, I applied for a, a number of positions, and one of the things I applied for was a position actually called Lead Teacher with this Goodwill Excel program that is being, it operates currently, there are I think 14 in Indiana, there's one in D.C., there's one in uh, Little Rock, and a couple of other places. And I was like, that sounds like an interesting kind of fun adventure, I could probably do that. The position that was posted was really teaching most of a 
part-time and instructional coaching part-time. Okay. And when I went in for my interview, I had a really fabulous interview. I really, really enjoyed the people and got to learn a lot more about the program and just thought it was really fascinating. A couple of weeks went by and I, they brought me back for a second interview and I felt even more strongly the same way. And then I didn't hear anything. And I finally called and was just like, hey, I was just wondering if there was an update. So I'm like, I don't know if I should still be seriously looking for other jobs. I don't, There, this is a essentially private nonprofit school. Right. So I don't know what the pay scale might look like. I have a lot of holes in this picture and I would like to make a decision because if I need to keep interviewing for things, I want to do that in good faith. So I called and asked the secretary, uh, you know, if there'd been any update and I got a call back literally less than 30 seconds later. <laughs> Dave Kutchback says to me, oh, we're going to offer you a position. <laughs> I was like, okay, good, that's a relief. It's like, but it's not the position you applied for. Oh. Uh, okay. We want to create a position that really has you coaching at all three and eventually four locations and being our, our curriculum person and our instruction person at all the locations. And I said, okay. And, uh, you know, we did some negotiation in terms of compensation and benefits and things like that. And I wound up accepting the position. And now that's what I'm doing. It's a lot of fun. I am. I travel a lot. So, right, our schools are scheduled to open on October 22nd. Okay. All three of them. And in the interim, so the whole staff was hired to start July 2nd. And at the time, I spoke to my immediate supervisor. And I was like, so I feel like there are some things that maybe the administrators and the leadership team need to talk about and some things they need training in that don't apply to the teacher. And, you know, that was in June, right, As, because we started communicating once we were all hired. And he was like, huh. And he came back with a plan to make that happen before July 2nd because in my heart of hearts, I had this reaction, and I've had it several times, not in a negative way, but just in a, like, sort of, Chilly kind of way where we're doing things, and I, I think I, I picture that commercial in my head where this young man walks into a living room and his grandmother has put pictures and receipts and ticket stubs and mementos all over her living room wall with pins and run yarn from some to the other. And she says, Look, it's my Facebook. And he goes, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. I have that feeling on a pretty regular basis because we're essentially a bunch of non-educators trying to start a school with a bunch of traditional K through 12 educators who have no experience with adults or private schools. So on both sides of it, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> so I have those moments pretty regularly where I'm just like, what is happening? But we've gotten we've past. I had several of those moments in the beginning. And we'll always continue to have those moments because we're all learning together. We don't know exactly what we're doing. We have a blueprint from Indianapolis and a lot of support from that existing program. But we also have some things where we're not in love with the way that they have been able to do things and feel like there's an opportunity for us to do, to make improvements. 
because we have our teachers for three months before we open the doors. Mm-hmm. So we can build a curriculum from the ground up that's based entirely on skill and high rigor instead of gearing it towards state testing because we're a private school. We're not required to do the same state testing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a lot of moments where we, you know, we have lots and lots of questions. And a lot of times the answer is, that's a good question. Hadn't thought about that. Let me look into that. I don't think we've made a decision about that. Maybe we need to ask this person. (laughs) And very few questions where we can say, this is the answer. (laughs) Well, I... It's, is it? I imagine it's a lot like starting, you know, a normal K through 12 charter school in the sense that we all have these different ideas of what education should look like, and we all come from all these different backgrounds, and then we're trying to come up with this one vision to make everything work. Yes, it is a little bit like that. We have a really strong. I mean. So Goodwill's mission and vision is really strong, which is changing lives through the power of work. So that piece of it, there's no debate about. And the structure of our program is dictated. We are five terms a year, eight to nine week courses, four days a week, either 90 or 180 minutes. It's an accelerated program. But within that, we don't have, we have a blueprint, but we have no details and we have to build a lot of things out. So yeah, we're spending a lot of time and some people I think are probably starting to feel like an obnoxious amount of time <laughs> on establishing the goals, the core competencies, the big skills of each course, and then the components of each of those skills, and then their alignment to state standards, and then the summative assessment before we're letting teachers do any kind of resource and lesson planning, which you know is driving everyone crazy because even teachers who know they want and need to start with backward design want to do what first? They, they want a plan, yeah. They want a plan. They want to have a million plans. Okay, so yes, you can plan a road trip, but just keep in mind if you don't have a destination, that exactly. might be a problem. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're going to need to have, you know, a road map so that you can plan that trip appropriately. <laughs> so we're, you know, gradually working our way through that process. And I've been very, very privileged to have the opportunity to to de- design that process for us in a way that is really focused on what our students need, on what best practice is, and on really using backward design and having that, that sort of enormous chunk of time to start at the end and work our way backwards and have all of the philosophical discussions and all of the like verbiage conversations and all of the different opinions and all of the different understandings of what the state standards say and what's really vitally important and we keep refining and refining you know that's not something you have the luxury of doing in a traditional public school because the time just doesn't exist right. for that and process. So you're, I mean, everybody's come together, you know, getting that. I mean, I, I, it's just like when you're, you know, you're building a, any sort of structure, those people uh-huh. come together during that time. I had a, did an interview with a teacher this week about how she created a, um, a theater program from the ground up, uh-huh. literally. Uh-huh. Like, you know, they had one hammer between... <laughs> 
15 kids uh-huh. and and she's it was like yeah we, we would watch this kid they would they would hammer in the nail and we pass it on and this person would hammer in that nail but though those are the kids and those are the families that they built the best relationships with and so i'm sure the hope is that by the time you're done creating this that it's going yeah. to be something that you all have a huge investment in. yeah absolutely and i see it's interesting for me because I am not considered an administrator. And so the one iron fat, ironclad rule is that there, I have no role whatsoever in evaluation. None. I am resource and support. So like when we, when I worked with our directors, our principals essentially on a classroom observation process, we set that up to where they will never see my notes or my work with an individual teacher, but I can see all of their observation notes. Okay. In in some instances, it's been really interesting because I can't be everywhere and with everyone at once, nor should they be dependent upon me to get things done. And so they have been forced to work through some communication issues and find consensus on things in a way that has created really strong relationships, but also been uncomfortable. They're already, and rightly so, making fun of me because I will say on a pretty regular basis, we're going to lean into the discomfort, (laughs) (laughs) which is the most ridiculous phrase in the world, but it does capture what we're what we're saying, you you have to lean into the discomfort of, for example, disagreeing with someone when you know they feel really passionately about right. something. You have to lean into the discomfort of not knowing who our students will be. Will they be 21 or will they be 62? Mm-hmm. Will they be illiterate or will they be highly functional in literacy? Will they have basic math skills where computation at the subtraction and addition level is a challenge or will they be strong algebraic thinkers mm-hmm. or will they all be some of both? We don't know. So that's, we have to lean into that discomfort. We have to lean into the discomfort of having never taught a super accelerated program like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that all of those kinds of things, it's harder for science and history Right. And then slightly easier for math and easiest for English to let go of some of our really traditional paradigm and lean into this, the discomfort of thinking about skills rather than content in a really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And that has been especially sort of profound for a lot of the teachers. I have no idea what they say about me behind my back. I'm sure they complain <laughs> because that's what people do. And I'm okay with that, right? And well, I know just, they do a lot of, well, Reno said, behind to each other when I'm not around. <laughs> Thank you, Rena, for joining me on this episode of the podcast. It is always great to hear the more unique paths that people have taken because I feel it helps us relate to our students who are more and more taking on the so-called non-traditional paths to growing up. Thank you to everyone who listened. If you liked the episode, make sure you go and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast site. Remember that starting next week, the podcast will switch to a twice-a-week format 
with release days on Tuesday and Thursday. If you would like to keep track of the podcast on social media, search Educator Escape and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter and hit the like button on Facebook. Look there for reminders of the change and other updates of the podcast, including an upcoming feature episode with Kevin Haar, where we discuss a so-called teacher movie and how, if at all, it is realistic and reflective of what quote-unquote real teachers do. Remember, if you know any educators who are doing exceptional work, and you would love for them to be highlighted on the podcast, please let me know by emailing me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com, and I would love to feature them on the podcast. Before I end, I'll leave you with the words of the Fonz himself, Henry Winkler. Your mind knows only some things. Your inner voice, your instinct knows everything. If you listen to what you know instinctively, it will always lead you down the right path. Hey. So I added the last part. Forgive me. Thank you for listening to the episode, though, even though I just made that horrible joke. I hope you enjoy your extended weekend, and remember, the change begins next week, so I'll see you on Tuesday with the new and improved Educator Escape podcast. I'm out of here.